Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to look just for a few minutes in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. While you're finding your place, latchkey parents, let me remind you that we do have a free lunch following the service down in the gym. And so if you go out this door and just pretty much go all the way straight down the long hall, you'll eventually see the gym. And so that's our way of kind of saying thank you to you for um, allowing us to be a part of your, your children's lives. Jonah chapter three, we are in a, we've been in a series through the book of Jonah and we're just looking one week at one chapter, giving each chapter a key word. Um, and I think most of us are aware with the story of Jonah, but I want to give a little bit of a backdrop just so we're all on the same page and kind of understanding kind of what all's taking place in the book of Jonah. I think we are aware of Jonah and the big fish. Um, you know the story how Jonah is told to go to Nineveh and a little geography. Nineveh was about 250 miles east of where Jonah was. But instead of going to Nineveh, he attempts to run 2,500 miles west in the exact opposite direction. He is deliberately rebelling against what God told him to do. And so in this rebellion, he boards a ship going the opposite direction of where God told him to go. In the middle of this, a storm comes. And actually, chapter 1, verse 4 kind of words it that God basically balled up a storm and hurled a storm at Jonah. While all the sailors are going crazy. Do you remember what Jonah's doing? He's asleep. He's down in the bottom of the ship, sound asleep. They come wake him up. They're terrified. They're throwing everything overboard, trying to be sure that the ship doesn't sink. And he comes up and finally he acknowledges, well, the storm is here because I'm running from God. And so they go through this period of things that they do, casting lots. It comes to Jonah. He says, yes, I'm the problem. And so they end up throwing Jonah overboard. Um, you're familiar with that. They throw him overboard. And the moment that they throw him overboard, he hits the water. The storms stop. Now, one of the things we talked about in week one, our key word in week one was rebellion. Because what Jonah is doing is literally rebelling very deliberately and directly against the person of God. He's running in the opposite direction. But one of the key points that we talked about is that God is always in pursuit of us. That when we rebel against God, when we resist God, when we say no to God, that God is in pursuit. We cannot outrun the grace of God, and for that we should be thankful. But that's exactly what Jonah is trying to do. He is trying to run from God, and God is pursuing him. It's the reason why we're calling the series God in Pursuit. God was pursuing Jonah. And in that pursuit, Jonah kept running from God. Basically, what Jonah was saying was, I would rather be thrown overboard and die than submit to God. That's a pretty drastic statement. I mean, he had no idea the fish was going to be coming. He said, I would rather die than submit to God. Well, as you know, in the story, God sends a big fish to swallow Jonah. I can almost imagine Jonah saying, I'm going to get the last say in this. I'm just going to throw myself overboard, take my life. And God says, nope, you're really not that much in control. So this big fish comes and gets Jonah, which is, again, God is pursuing. God's grace is pursuing Jonah. So you'd think that Jonah, once being swallowed by a fish, would kind of get the hint. I mean, it was a hundred between 108 and 115 degrees in the belly of the fish. You'd think he would get the hint, but he's not there one day, two days, three days and three nights before he finally wakes up and says, you know what? God is after me. 
I'm rebelling against God, but God is pursuing me. And so he finally submits to God. And you can read about that in chapter two. And the moment that he submits to God, the big fish kind of spits him up on dry land. That's a beautiful picture right there, isn't it? That's where we ended last week. This week we're picking up in chapter three and the key word this week is obedience. So the key word in week one was rebellion. The key word in week two was submission. The key word this morning is obedience, obedience. If you have your bulletin on the back of your bulletin, you'll notice an outline and we'll get to that outline in just a moment. But chapter three is where we see Jonah finally going where God told him to go to begin with, which is Nineveh. Now, let me give you a little background about Nineveh. This is not on your outline yet, but this will help kind of provide some context for us. Nineveh was a large city. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 3, it says that Nineveh was a three days walk. And what that literally means is if you were to go to the edge of the city of Nineveh and to start walking with the goal being of going all the way through to the other side of Nineveh, it would be a three day walk. This was a significant city. Some people have said it has the land size of Chicago, a large city. But not only was it a large city, it had a large population, had about one million people who lived in Nineveh. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 11, you'll see that there were 120,000 people who could not distinguish between their right hand and their left. And what that means is there was 120,000 small children, small enough that they didn't know the difference in their right and their left hand. So a lot of people have kind of done the math and said there's over a million people living in Nineveh. That is a lot. So it's a large area, a very highly populated area. We also learn in chapter 1, verse 3, that it was a very wicked area area, excuse me, chapter one, verse two, it was very wicked. You say, well, what was their wickedness like? Well, one of the reasons why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because he hated them. He hated them. He hated their culture. He hated their race. He hated their religious beliefs. He hated everything about them. And he said, I would rather them be wiped off the face of the earth than see them have the opportunity to repent to God. He hated them. One of the reasons why though, was that this people was very cruel They had attacked many Jewish towns and Jewish cities, and when they attacked, they would destroy absolutely everything. They were hostile to the people. They were ruthless with the people of Israel. So when Jonah looked at them, he's basically looking at them and saying, they do not deserve forgiveness. They do not deserve the grace of God. They do not deserve the mercy of God. They don't deserve the opportunity to confess their sins and make God Lord of their lives. They just deserve God's wrath. So he did not want to go there. He, in fact, that's why he ran in the exact opposite direction. So that's a little bit about Nineveh. Wicked people, large land area, large population. This is where Jonah is called to go. And in chapter three, he finally goes. But this is where I want to dive into six truths from Jonah three. And these are going to be quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but six truths from Jonah three. Here's the first one. God is a God of second chances. We mentioned this last week, but this is so important that I do not want us to miss this. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What does it say? A second time. Many times we are tempted to think or we believe the lie that because of our past, God cannot use us. We're tempted to think that we have done wrong for so long, that we've rebelled against God, that we've rejected God, that we've said no to God, that we've resisted him, that we've done. There's too much wrong in our past that God cannot use us. And sometimes this keeps people from fully following God. This keeps people from being involved. This keeps people from 
kind of plugging in and being connected. They think, well, there is too much in my past that I have done. You don't know what I have done. You don't know what sins I have committed. You don't know, you don't know how many people I have hurt. Well, there is no one who rebelled more deliberately than Jonah. But when Jonah submitted to God, one of the things we clearly see is that God gave him a second chance. And we said last week, God is not just a God of first chances or second chances or third chances. We could go on and on. So if you're in your mind this morning, you're looking at your life and you say, there's too much that I have done in my past to follow God. There's too much wrong I have done, too much sin I have done. God cannot use me now. You are wrong. God is a God of second chances, and his mercies are new every morning, and his forgiveness is always available. So if you're looking at your life and you say, there's too much wrong I have done, you're wrong. Or if you look at your life and you say, you don't know what I have been through. I have been hurt. I have been abused. I have been mistreated. Certainly God doesn't want me serving him when I have experienced all of these things. And again, the answer is you're wrong. God desires us to run to him. God desires that we worship him. God desires to have a relationship with us. If if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, I want you to remember this. God is a God of second chances. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? Are you thankful for that? Yes. Let me give you number two. The second truth this morning. Obedience to God requires obeying without having all the information. Obedience to God requires obeying without having all the information. Now, listen, this is hard for me. I'm an analytical kind of a guy. Whenever I'm getting ready to make a decision or decide what I wanted to do, it always begins with a spreadsheet. Are any of you like that? I mean, I, I have it out. I have the, the positives and the negatives. And I, before I do anything, Jason will tell you, before I do anything, I want to know what to expect. I want to know how it's going to work out. I want to know kind of what challenges are going to come. I want to have all of the information. But one of the things that we learn in Jonah chapter 3 is sometimes we have to obey without having all the information. Look at verse 2. Here's what God tells Jonah. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. That's future tense. What he is saying is get up and go to Nineveh with the purpose of preaching. And when you get there, I will then tell you what you are to preach. So Jonah, basically, what he's been told to do is just get up and go. You're going to be preaching. I'll tell you what to preach when you get there. Now, if you're Jonah, you're going to be a little nervous. I mean, if if I was Jonah, I would say, okay, God, I will go, but I will go when you tell me what the message is. And I will go when you tell me what's going to happen. And I will go when you tell me what the outcome is going to be. But God says no. Because the reality is sometimes we are called to obey God when we don't have all of the information necessary to to make a rational decision. About six years ago, seven years ago, I forget exactly when, my younger brother called me. And he had just graduated college. And he is from Tennessee. His wife is from North Carolina, Wilmington. And he said, we're thinking about moving to Brooklyn, New York. What do you think? I said, do you really want to know? I said, why Brooklyn? And he went through and gave his answers. Well, in three weeks, they were to be married. And his plan was, after they get married and go on the honeymoon, they were just going to pack up the U-Haul. And their first stop was going to be Brooklyn, New York, where you ride the subway every day. And there's snow Ten months out of the year, seems like. I said, you know, Brooklyn's different than where you're from. He went, well, yeah, I guess. So here's the problem, though. 
So my analytical mind, when he's telling me this, my analytical mind is thinking, okay, let's lay it all out. So I said, what? You got a job? Well, no. You got a place to live? No. Does your wife have a place to live? I mean, a place to work. No. Well, um, here's what I wanted to say. This is stupid. That's what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, this is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. But he asked me, and so on the one hand, I have this analytical side of me saying, this is crazy. But on the other hand, he said, he's on the phone telling me, oh, I believe this is what God wants me to do. I said, but you don't know where you're going to live, and you don't know where you're going to work, and you don't know what you're, where you're going to stay when you first get there. And he went, no. So what should I do, he says. I said, well, and this is where I was in a quandary. Because on the one hand, the practical side of me says, I want to have all of the information before I obey. On the other hand, I had been reading Jonah, reading this exact passage, and I knew that there are some times that God calls us to step out in obedience when we do not have all of the information. So here's what I told him. I said, well, on the one hand, I think this is stupid. I did, I told him. And he went, uh, okay. I said, on the other hand, if you really believe that this is what God wants you to do, then you need to do it. And he said, okay. And so they ended up getting married three weeks later, and they packed up the U-Haul, and they moved up to Brooklyn, New York. They've been up there six or seven years now, had every, every needs been provided. God's been there every step of the way. That is a, kind of an illustration, but that happens in all of our lives. There are things that God will call us to do. Where he says, I want you to obey. I want you to step out in obedience. And many times in our mind, we're saying, I want all of the information. God, you tell me how it's going to work out and what I can expect and what challenges are going to come and what difficulties are going to come. And God, if you can answer all of that, then I will obey. And God says, no, you obey first. That's what Jonah is facing right here. Go to Nineveh, get ready to preach. When you get there, I will give you the message to preach. Now, if you're Jonah, the message that you're going to be called to preach is going to influence whether or not you want to go. Because what does Jonah want for these people? He wants them to be annihilated. I mean, if God would have said, I want you to go preach a message of forgiveness, Jonah might have said no. But what he does, though, is actually step up and obey. So let me give you number three, because here's the question. How can we get to the place in our lives where we're willing to obey when we do not have all of the information? Number three, obedience to God requires trusting God. If you look at verse three of chapter three, here's what it says. So Jonah got up and went. In one word, he obeyed. Obedience. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. There was obedience. So how can you and I this morning obey God and step out in obedience to God in those times where we truly don't have all of the information? And the answer is the only way you're going to be willing to do that is if you trust God. See, the trust you have in God motivates your obedience to God. If you are, if you do not truly trust God, you will never be willing to step out in obedience to God because it is your trust in who God is and what God has done and what God says that drives your obedience even when you do not have all of the information. I mean, one of the questions I, as I read verse 3 was, why did Jonah get up and go? Why did he just, why did he obey? What led to his obedience? And the only answer I could come to was he trusted God. 
He said, I don't have all of the information and I do not have all of the answers and I don't know how it's all going to work out. And I don't know if the message I'm going to preach is going to be received or rejected, but I trust God and his trust in God motivated his obedience to God. And it is exactly the same thing for you and I. In those times where God calls you to live a life of obedience and calls you to an act of obedience, and you're looking at that situation, whether it's moving to Brooklyn, New York, or whatever else it may be, when you're looking at that situation and you're asking yourself, I don't have all of the information, how can I obey? Your trust in God or your lack of trust in God will become very evident. Because if you truly trust in who God is and what God says and what God has done, that trust will drive you to a place of obedience. Obedience to God requires trusting in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is very familiar. Some of you may have memorized it, but it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Not leaning on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And what does it say he will do? He will direct your paths. Far too often, we want God to direct our paths, but we do not want to stop leaning on our own understanding. And we cannot have it both ways. You cannot cling to your own understanding and live by your own understanding and your own wisdom and your own knowledge. And you, you, you cannot hold to that and let your own understanding drive how you make decisions and at the exact same time ask God to direct your steps. The only way you can truly ask God to direct your steps if you trust him and reject your own understanding. Number four. So number three, obedience to God sometimes... Requires trusting God. The number four, obedience to God sometimes requires delivering a difficult message. Look at verse four. So he comes to Jonah. So he comes to Jonah comes to Nineveh. Verse four. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed. Now here's his message. Imagine being Jonah, and this is the message you're you're telling to a million people. In forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. Surprise. I mean, imagine Jonah walking through the city of Nineveh, a million people, ruthless people, people he hates. I can on one hand, Jonah is excited because this is the message he hoped he got to deliver. On the other hand, he's scared because who wants to proclaim that through the streets of Charleston? I mean, imagine that you're Jonah and this is what God tells you to say. You going to be excited about it? No, you're not. None of you are. I'd be scared to death, wouldn't you? This is the message he's called to proclaim. Forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. It will be destroyed. The truth that we can learn from that, though, is that we do not, as believers, we do not get to pick and choose the message that we communicate. We can't just pick out the parts of the Bible and the parts of the gospel that we like and leave out the rest. We communicate the message that God has given us. So on the one hand, we want to let people know about God's love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. We want to know that there is a way of salvation that's been made possible through Christ. But at the exact same time, we have to let people know why that is necessary. And that is because we are sinners in need of a Savior who cannot save ourselves. And God must punish sin. So we cannot just pick the part of the message that's the easiest to communicate and leave out the rest of the message. We have to communicate all of the gospel. We have to communicate that the reason why we need a savior is because we are a sinner. And the reason why we need forgiveness is because we have sinned. And the reason why we need deliverance is because we are destined to, apart from salvation, God, we're destined to God's wrath. We have to communicate all of the message. We cannot simply communicate the parts that we want. Number five, 
Believing God will result in repentance. Believing God will result in repentance. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. And notice what happens. So this is the message. And before we read this, I can imagine Jonah thinking, even though he's scared, thinking, okay, I'm going to tell everybody that in 40 days the city is going to be destroyed. It's going to be demolished. And, and deep down inside, he's happy about it. And the last thing he expects to happen is what happens. He expects them to reject him, run him out of town, stone him, whatever it is. They, he expects them to reject the message. But notice what happens starting in verse 5 of chapter 3. The men of Nineveh believed in God. That is not what he expected. But they believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. So the king of all million people. He got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. This sackcloth and ashes was a way of demonstrating true legitimate mourning over sin. It, it, it was a way of communicating humility, way of communicating that, that wrong had been done. So the king even comes up and he makes a decree starting in verse well, really, the, verse 7, then he issued a decree, and you can read the decree, basically saying everyone throughout the whole city of Nineveh is to believe in God, and is to worship God, and is to sacrifice to the true God. This is not what Jonah expected to happen. But when people believe in God, there is repentance. I want you to look at verse 10. Then God, then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. Their actions was turning from their evil ways. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, this is repentance in action. What is happening is they believed in God. They are repenting. And their belief in their repentance is demonstrated from the fact that they turned. Their life changed. They turned from their evil ways. They turned from their sinfulness. They decided, I'm no longer going to live in this direction. I want to turn and I want to pursue God. That is the definition of repentance. So they repented. But their belief in God led to their repentance. Listen, in our lives, it is exactly the exact same thing. It's, it's so true. When you and I truly believe in God, it leads to genuine repentance. You say, why? Well, when we truly believe in God, we see God for who he is. When we see God for who he is, we see his holiness and his righteousness. And what becomes painfully obvious when we see the holiness of God and the righteousness of God is it sheds all kinds of light on our sinfulness. And the darkness of our hearts and the darkness of our lives. When we see the holiness of God, we begin to see us for who we really are. And when we see the darkness in us and the sin in us and the way that we fall short of who God is, then we are all of a sudden left with this gap between us and God. And we say, what, what do I do? So this belief in God sheds light on who we really are. That light on who we really are leads us to a place of repentance. See, if you're here this morning... You're in one of two camps. You may be in a camp this morning, a group this morning that says, I'm a true believer in Christ. And if you are a true believer in Christ, there should be regular repentance and confession of sin in your heart and in your life. Because we all sin. Right? That was a little weak. <laughs> yeah, we all sin. We all do. So the, by the fact, the knowledge, understanding that we all sin as believe, people who believe in God, there should be regular repentance for that sin. 
And the wonderful news is we have the promise that if and when we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just and he will forgive and he will cleanse from all unrighteousness. You may be in a group this morning where you're, you've never really given your life to Christ. You've never given it a whole lot of thought. You've never saw the need. But maybe this morning you're starting to see the need. You're, you're starting to see the need that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And let me tell you something. True belief in God leads to repentance. Not just a belief that God exists, but a belief in what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. A belief in God always leads to true repentance. And I'm going to end this morning with probably the best point of the whole message. The most encouraging point this morning. Number six, God is merciful. Look at verse 10 one more time. Then God saw their actions. Their actions were that they had turned from their evil ways. Again, that's the repentance. So when God sees the repentance, notice what he says. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. God was merciful. When God saw their repentance, he showed mercy and said, I am no longer going to destroy the city. It was the repentance that led to God's decision to not destroy the city. See, repentance is crucial. But repentance, in a way, activates the mercy of God. God is merciful and God is gracious and he's forgiving and he is loving. But in our lives, that is simply concepts to be viewed from a distance. But when we truly believe in God and we repent of our sins, we turn from our sins and we say, I want Christ to be Lord of my life. It's almost like the the grace and the mercy of God is activated on you personally. And when you repent of your sins, God will be merciful to you. Doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you have been rebelling against God and resisting God and running from God. It doesn't matter what is in your past. It doesn't matter even what's happening right now in your present. God is a God of second chances. And when you come to him, he, his arms are wide open and he welcomes you home just like a son and a daughter. And he says, you are covered by my mercy. You are forgiven. But you cannot have the grace of God and the mercy of God on your life in a, in, in a way that leads to salvation apart from repentance of your sins and apart from truly making Jesus Lord of your life. See, this morning we have to understand a couple of key truths. The first one is God is a God of second chances. And it doesn't matter how long any of us here this morning have been running from God, have been rebelling against God, how long we've been harboring sin in our lives, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, that is irrelevant right now. It doesn't matter how long you have been doing the exact opposite of what you know God wants you to do. You need to understand this morning that God is a God of second chances. And the reason he is a God of second chances is because he is merciful. And the fact that you are here this morning is a demonstration of God's mercy to you. Because you have the opportunity to repent, to confess of sin, to experience God's love and his grace and his mercy for us. So here's what I want to ask you in closing. What is it this morning that God is calling you to do that requires a step of obedience? What is it this morning in your own heart, in your own life, and nobody else may know about it. The person beside you may not know about it. But in your own heart and in your own life, you know that God is calling you to take this step of obedience. But in your mind, you've been saying no because you don't have all the information. And it's not, you're not sure how it's going to work out. So you've been saying no to obeying God. What is it in your life where he's calling you to obey? 
understand that it may require obeying without having all of the information. It, it requires that you have trust in God. And for some of you this morning, believers here this morning, there may be an area of your life where God's calling you to obey. And it's time for you to say yes. It's time for you, our key words more obedience. It's time for you to simply obey, saying, I know I don't have all the information, but I trust God and I will allow my trust in God to drive my obedience to God. There may be others of you this morning, for you, saying yes to God means you surrender your life to him for the first time. You've been rejecting him, you've been running from him, you've been rebelling against him, you have, you've never accepted the free gift of salvation. This morning, maybe for the first time, your eyes have been spiritually opened and you see the truth that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And the good news is that God is a wonderful, merciful savior who is available. I don't know how God is speaking to you this morning, but I want to challenge you to respond. And the way that we normally do that here is we have a song that we're going to sing. And you can either respond where you are or if you would like someone to pray with you, you have questions about what it means to be obedient to God in the Christian life or you have questions about what it means to follow God in salvation. Pastor Jason and I will be standing up front. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, but you can make a decision where you are. But some of you this morning, you need to take that step and say, I will obey. We stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.